Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, hello and welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. This uh, particular program, we begin a series covering the last conversations of St. Therese of Lisieux. This is a very important work uh, on St. Therese. And Frances uh, Harry, who uh, joins me again as she does each week in the studio. How are you, Frances? I'm breathless. <laughs> <laughs> breathless? Wow. Well, I'm thinking of the great beauty of this fall uh, here at uh, Mount St. John Bergamo, where we're recording uh, or li- going live from. It is just gorgeous out there, and I hope everybody out there is enjoying the beautiful colors that God is giving us. We are having a great fall. I think it took those late rains. You know, of course, we had a very dry summer, but the late rains in the fall and a abundance of rains, I might just say, uh, seem to have contributed to a wonderful flourishing in the colors. And I might also say I'm breathless because of what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, what Therese has to, to tell us. It's just breathless. <laughs> well, I want to get into it right away. And so uh, let's begin by um, calling on uh, Therese. And I want to point out one other a quick uh, item. This, of course, as many of our listeners uh, are aware, is the memorial of Blessed John Paul II. This is the day the Church has designated as a memory uh, memorial for uh, Blessed John Paul II. And do you know why today? No, but I'm going to ask you to tell me. <laughs> I looked this up, and it was because this is the anniversary of Pope John Paul II's inauguration as Pope ah, in 1978. Okay, great. So um, that's I was wonderful. just doing my, uh, you know, my Carmelite devotions this morning, and I always check the calendar, and of course that's where I first saw it. Yes, the Carmelite Clarion through mm-hmm. the Washington Province they put out this calendar every year, and it is marvelous because it has all these quotes and feast days and there it was and they knew about it a year in advance every so, day you can start your day with a carmelite quote and that's a wonderful thing i, I mean yes. that quite genuinely it's a wonderful blessing i always go into my little uh, office in the house each morning first thing i do and i read that quote well let's begin with prayer and then uh, francis i'd like to hear uh, a little bit more about your enthusiasm for this particular text which i know is quite genuine but okay. let's begin in prayer well this opening prayer comes actually from um Blessed John Paul's second statement at World Youth Day in August, um, August 24th, 1997. And it was, um, also, uh, about a hundred years since Therese's death in September of 1897. So, um, basically it is a prayer that's adapted from his statement on World Youth Day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh Lord. We thank you for the great St. Therese of Lisieux. Help us to follow her in being entirely captivated by your love and in radically offering ourselves in response to your love. Grant us the grace to practice fraternal love, imitating Jesus, willingly sitting at the table of sinners so that they might be purified by your love, ardently desiring to see everyone enlightened by the luminous torch of faith. O just and merciful God, grant us the grace to remain faithful throughout our lives in all of our sufferings and tests of faith. Help us receive your love, Lord, as we place our hope in you in the midst of the depths of darkness. Help us to penetrate the message of the Gospels and understand that in the life of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, love and faithfulness meet. 
Grant us the grace, like St. Therese, to be love in the heart of the church. May we humbly follow Therese on the little way of children who confide in the Father with bold trust. May St. Therese's teaching, a true science of love, luminously express in us her knowledge of the mystery of Christ and allow us a share in her personal experience of grace so that we may be more aware of the gifts of God and spread the good news of his infinite love. Like St. Therese, Carmelite and Apostle, Mistress of Spiritual Wisdom, Patroness of the Missions, and Doctor of the Church, may we grow in Christian maturity with an infinite generosity and remain in the heart of the Church as disciples and ardent witnesses of Christ's charity. St. Therese, lead us into the heart of God on the path of truth and life. To Jesus, through Mary, totus tuus. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Francis, this um, is a collection, of course, of um, Therese's last conversations, uh, some writings and, and largely conversations that she had with those around her, her sisters, of course, the Prioress and the, um, and the Carmel, uh, written over the course of uh, nine, about four months. Uh, they began in, in May and concluded in September of 1897. Uh, so really a collection of about four months of communication. And I always like to stress, as I did when we covered this text in, in community, the fact that these are the last, if you will, most intense, deepest reflections of a woman who would later be identified as a blessed, as a saint, and eventually as a doctor of the church. Right. Uh, not insignificant, especially in light of the fact that this all occurred, occurred in, in less than 100 years. Um, so we should listen carefully to yes. what Therese has to say to us in these last conversations. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited about this because uh, you you know who someone is in the midst of suffering. And not only did she have this great physical suffering as she was dying of this tuberculosis, but the great spiritual trial of faith that she had for the last 18 months of her life. And now here in these last conversations, like you said, the last four months or so of her life were even the most serious as she was really uh, contemplating death and trying to understand more and more about suffering and um so the counsels that she gives us are even uh, more important more and, significant, and that right. yes more significant that's right yeah i um i want to pick up on this theme of suffering actually and go right to the text if we can you know you and i have done a series on the holy face and one of the uh, programs in that series is therese's devotion to the holy face and I think it's important for us to clarify and to recognize, as devoted as Therese was to the Holy Face, and clearly she was, she spoke about it, she wrote about it, there are pictures of her, of course, holding an image, her favorite image of the Holy Face. Um, we learn something in this text, and, and the question I'll throw out is, what do we think about uh, uh, the comparison between Therese's devotion to the Holy Face and her devotion to Christ's passion? And the answer, I think, is given in the text uh, by uh, Mother Agnes in uh, August of 1897. She writes, We cannot place enough emphasis on this confidence, which at this date takes on the appearance of a last will and testament. Of course, she's writing about Therese's reflections. We have here an inexhaustible source of study. 
she whom we customarily call St. Therese of the Child Jesus, and who in this way is made to symbolize only childhood, was able to say, at the moment of her death, that the foundation of her whole piety was nourished on the text of Isaiah, chapter 53, concerning the suffering servant. When we mutilate her... uh, 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 mutilate her name, we mutilate her message, to say nothing of her entire life. If we rely on the testimony of Mother Agnes given at the beatification process, we have good reason to call her Sister Therese of the Holy Face. Mother Agnes stated, however, devotion to the Holy Face was the servant of God, she's referring to Therese, special attraction. As As tender as was her devotion to the child Jesus, It cannot be compared to her devotion to the Holy Face. But what she goes on to say then is that this devotion to the Holy Face was simply Therese's avenue in to the understanding of Christ's passion. For her, everything in her devotion to the Holy Face was an understanding in her devotion to Christ's passion. That's a significant message, I think, for us. Right, and I think this devotion to the holy face was not of, of this face of glory and beauty, but the one that was suffering, uh, the one that had no beauty, which relates back to the passages in Isaiah. So, um, yes, and that reminds us of when she was still young and before entering Carmel, how she looked at a, a, a little card that was sticking out of a book, and it was a picture of Jesus' hand and the blood falling to the ground, and she she is caught up in this thought of you know how this blood is falling to the ground and no one to wipe it up uh, so even then it was manifesting and it continues throughout her whole life yeah and i want to again continue on this theme of suffering we've read this before we've actually in addition to the series we did on the holy face of course we've done a very complete series on therese herself one of those was her um experience of suffering, which if you know St. Therese, for our listening audience, if you've read about her, if you've had a devotion to her, uh, sometimes this element of her life, which is very real, the suffering, is hidden. Uh, in in part, uh, that was uh, uh, her intention. Yes. She wanted to keep it quiet. But later in life, she has this remarkable statement, I could never have believed it possible to have suffered so much. Never, never. I can explain it only by the ardent desires I had to save souls. So even though we don't see a lot of evidence, of course, we know about her sickness, and we know about the difficulties she had as a child, the separation, the loss of her mother, separation later from her father, her father's illness, separation from her sisters at different times, though many of those relationships reignited uh, in the Carmel. Uh, But nonetheless, Her suffering is an interior suffering. It's a much deeper suffering uh, than even those experiences that uh, we can reflect on in her personal life. And she entered into that suffering, as she says, with great desire to save souls. I contend, Francis, that if we can understand what Therese is talking about in the context of suffering and a desire for it as a... um, participation in Christ's own work, then we will have really unwrapped the mystery of the Christian experience. And I think the mystery of suffering. 
Right. And in this desire to suffer and help save souls through Christ, she also offered herself as a victim to the merciful love of God in that act of oblation. And we can remember here, too, that Therese said that when she died, that she hoped that in heaven that the stigmata of Jesus would shine brightly on her. And yet, so see, there was this sense of even this uh, hidden stigmata in her, uh, but shining brightly, uh, as in, you know, manifesting these hidden sufferings but only to be seen in heaven and so this this hiddenness is is such a beautiful theme and and i have a a theory that this really uh was um emphasized when she received that miracle of the smile and talk about that yes the reason why i bring this up is because this has really been food for thought for me uh and and we'll see this touch in several areas is that uh she received that miracle and she didn't want to tell anybody about it but her sister sees her and convinces her to tell and then they go to the convent and tell the nuns and the nuns ask questions and then all of a sudden Teresa's is losing her peace and she's thinking well did i make this up because i'm not meeting the expectations of these nuns questions and so she had doubts about it and so she lost some of her peace and later on she'll have more and more counsels about how to know when not to speak because the words cannot tell everything that it is and so she was held up on this pedestal and she did not like that uh, because that wasn't the truth and she really did not like pretenses she wanted to be true and so to be hidden would be the best route here so that things are not misinterpreted or misguided and um i see that in this uh sense where she wants to to be hidden even in these sufferings yeah her own sister um uh, celine sister genevieve in her religious name uh, writes this about her in general even during her last years she continued to lead a hidden life the sublimity of which sublimity of which was known more to god then to the sisters around her. So even her, the, the sisters that she lived in Carmel with didn't fully comprehend this hidden life. And what a challenge can you imagine? I mean, they are people who are obviously living in a very intimate, uh, um, uh, you know, juxtaposition with each other uh, in, in Carmel. They spend the day together. They pray together. They eat together. They go through recreation together and so forth. And yet these people uh, who, who were closest to her, these sisters who were closest to her, didn't fully understand what she was going through. How successful, one, was she at retaining her peace, an exterior peace, albeit, uh, but also at... Um, uh, controlling, if you will, her reactions to this interior suffering that she was going through. And you have already talked about the, um, the the trial of faith, which had to have been the most painful experience, certainly in these latter months uh, of her life, last, last 18 months of her life. But she knew how to turn that pain into sweetness <laughs> because because she knew it was God's will. And so whatever was God's will was sweet to her. And so this, I think, is key to understanding suffering, knowing that God has given it to you for, for some reason. Maybe we'll understand, maybe not. But even so, we can rejoice that it's God's will for us, and he only wishes what is best for us. And so she manages to make it sweet. Now, we're not saying sweet on the outside, okay? This was a sweetness in the inside, this spiritual sweetness, which is more potent. Right. You know, you said something when you were talking about her a moment ago that the words themselves, and we could maybe extend that to saying the thought processes um, 
that that she was able to engage in were insufficient, if you will, to help her overcome this trial of faith. In other words, she couldn't simply read a book or convince herself, uh, well, it's true because I've always known it to be true, this, this trial that she went through. But we also know that our faith, our intellect rather, is perfected by our faith, isn't it? Our yes. church teaches us that. And that doesn't mean that our intellect is simply overcome or it's overwhelmed or it's somehow um, uh, taken out of the equation. We are literally perfected in our intellect through our faith. What does that mean? There are things that we as human beings cannot grasp. God is larger than we are, and his capacity to communicate to us is beyond our capacity to receive. But faith allows us to overcome that. Faith allows us to elevate our intellect, not to diminish it, not to dispense with it, Mm -hmm. not to suggest that somehow um, we have to forego it, but it in fact is perfected by faith, but only when we exercise that. Right. How can you get stronger in faith if you don't have to practice it? And if faith isn't challenged, as it was for for her, certainly in this case, if it's never challenged, if, if it never comes up against obstacles, one, it never certainly grows. The Lord has little ways of teaching us that by perhaps letting us struggle with little difficulties, which he eventually takes us out of. But in this case, her faith on a very large scale, was challenged, and ultimately she overcame that by exercising that faith. Yeah, and I I think she offered that, and the Lord took her up on that and really stretched her, not just for herself, but for unbelievers. I think she was a victim soul for atheists. I really Uh, think that that could be. Yeah, absolutely. And, And here we are in the year of faith. So what... What a wonderful model. What a wonderful saint to go to to learn about faith. And this book, The Last Conversations, is a, a wonderful one to really uh, grasp deeper uh, what this faith was all about. You know, she, she was so simple and so humble that, you know, even her own natural sister, Mother Agnes of Jesus, who, who was uh, the one who asked Therese to write about her life or, or ordered her to do so, she didn't even understand all this about Therese. And, you know, Therese gave her the manuscript, the first part, manuscript A, and mm-hmm. she doesn't read it for three months. And so when she does, all of a sudden the lights come on and she's seeing how potent uh, the statements and the things that Therese wrote about, how, how wonderful they were. And so now she has a totally different perspective. Yeah, you mentioned the manuscript, so I'm going to challenge you on that. Now you have to tell our Uh-oh. listeners... What are the manuscripts? Well, there's three manuscripts. So A, B, and C. A, B, yeah. and C. The first one, I believe, was about her early life before Carmel. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there was one about in Carmel. And right. what was the third one? Well, the third one was the one they updated. Remember, her sister told her, no, you've got to update this and, and expand it a bit. So, right, and that has the act of oblation. Right. So you'll find differences in the three, but but essentially they constitute her Story of a soul. reflections. Yeah. And right. we call all of those manuscripts together story of a soul. Right, right. But her, we her are going, text. yeah, we're going today from this book, um, The Last Conversations, which the ICS Publications puts out. So we encourage you to go to icspublications.com, I believe, and um, check out this book um, and, and read from it. Uh, you know, the potent last words of a saint. Oh, my goodness. So here she is. You know, she's leading this sublimely hidden life in Carmel, known only to God. And she's very happy about that because she realizes people's 
judgment of situations are very erroneous. <laughs> One person could say it's good, and she'd turn around, and another person say the same exact thing that they saw her do was not good. So. You know, I know many of our listeners, and I'd like to invite our listeners, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, maybe you're someone who's read uh, uh, last conversations. I have no doubt that we have many of our listeners who have read Story of a Soul, many of our listeners who have devotions to St. Therese. She is uh, arguably the most popular saint, I think, of the 20th century, uh, one that uh, uh, so many people both inside the church and outside are familiar with. But I think it might lead some of our, our listeners uh, uh, to, to want to join our conversation, and I invite you to do so by calling one eight six six. Three three six two seven nine. But Francis, I want to stay for one moment on this idea of suffering um, and what it is that Therese herself tells us drove her to accept the suffering. And I would even argue she goes beyond acceptance to embracing. Oh right? yes, absolutely. I mean, this is the path of our spiritual journey. We we tend to uh, sort of reject suffering, natural human reaction. Uh, eventually, we accept it perhaps reluctantly, but we accept it in the Christian uh, walk, and then we embrace it. For her, what drove her to do that? And I saw you had a point you wanted to raise, so I don't want to interrupt that first. Let, let, let's oh. go back to your point, and then we can... Well, my point's about hiddenness, not suffering. Okay, go ahead. Well, no, I think they're related. I think they're related. All right, well, I'll say my points, and then you <laughs> add to it, because uh, you're on to something here, and I'm not sure I'm with you. Um, when she's talking about this suffering, I, um, she said, I recognize from experience that happiness consists in hiding oneself. So again, that reminds me of the, oh, it would have been better had she not told about the miracle of the mm -hmm. smile, you know, mm -hmm. even even though that happened, that, you know, it could have been a miraculous healing without necessarily seeing Our Lady smile. But anyway, uh, and then I had a spiritual director tell me once that publicity loses merit. And I'm mm. like, oh, the wisdom of that. And, and then, of course, that made me reflect on what Therese is saying about hiddenness. And then I'm thinking of Teresa Vavla, the mm -hmm. madre, and says, who allows, says publicity allows the enemy more involvement. So, you know, it, when we read the book of her foundations, we remind him how she found all these monasteries in secret, <laughs> usually in the middle of the night. Um, and so, yes, how important this is for us to think about hiddenness. And, you know, scripture says, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So the value of hiddenness, I think, is important. Yeah, and silence in the context of that hiddenness is the silence, right? She refrained from constantly sharing. She certainly would have had the right, you know, sisters, I'm suffering internally. I have all this pain and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having bouts of faith and so on and so forth. She certainly would have had the right to do that. Um, but the the point I wanted to emphasize, she emphasizes for us, and she says it. Um, I cannot explain this, this acceptance of suffering, this embracing of suffering. She says, I cannot explain this except by my ardent desire uh, that I have to save souls. And I think that's a very important point that we have to sort of reflect on. I know our listeners uh, share my experience anyway in that we typically, as I said, uh, reject our suffering or we struggle against it. You know, Paul says we kick against the gourd. And, and I think it's a consequence of our struggle really with love. When we can turn that suffering into love, I think, you know, I've said this is the trick and that's a bad way to characterize it, but really I think this is such a central a theme to our Christian walk and to our maturing in holiness is 
we've got to learn how to um, embrace our suffering. But more than that, we've got to learn how to transform that suffering into love. And what does that come down to other than a seeing Christ? Now we're back to the face and her focus on the passion. Seeing Christ and seeing ourselves participating in that experience of Christ. Yes. Right? And knowing that literally through the mystical body, souls are being healed. Let's put it that way. Souls are being healed in that process, right? Right, because what affects one part of the body affects another part of the body, because this is one body in Christ. Right, and love helps us overcome all of that. And in fact, love grows as a consequence of that. These are difficult, in fairness, I would have to say, these are difficult principles uh, perhaps to grasp. But let me say this for our listeners. You won't grasp them by reading them in a book. You won't grasp them even by, you know, having Francis and I sit here and reflect on them. Ultimately, this is only understood in the human heart. And the heart, of course, being the definition of the center of the human being. It's only understood in the human heart. There's a knowing that goes beyond our intellectual knowing. There's an understanding of truth that goes beyond um, the words of a formula that might define uh, facts, if you will. And that can only be acquired through deep, intimate relationship with our Lord in prayer. In prayer, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so pray to understand suffering. I know that prayer is being answered. Yeah, because here's the one thing we can count on, right, Francis? Suffering in Texas. None of us, <laughs> Death. None of us will ever lack for suffering in our life. But it's a good thing, though, because now, you know, as we learn to know what that is, it's, if it's a If we can learn thing. how to use it, if we can learn how to embrace it. I mean, uh, you know, Elizabeth says so often that these were the, the means by which she really mounted you know, uh, to glory, the, the, the sufferings that she absorbed. Uh, uh, Brother Lawrence says the same things. He says, I didn't simply endure them. I mounted the sufferings. I, I, I overcame them. They became my victory. Uh, so th- this is a very powerful message that she has for us. Well, something more on this suffering. Um, well, she said now the purpose of the suffering is that it's taking away everything that could be a natural satisfaction in my desire for heaven. So it's being purified. And then she goes on and she offers an, this interior martyrdom, whether it's an outward martyrdom or an interior spiritual martyrdom. She offers that to the Lord and he takes her up on it. And then she says, Jesus makes her understand that there are people without faith because she couldn't understand how anybody could be without faith. And I know often in my conversations and recently with a friend of mine, we're just like, how do people go through this without faith? I don't know. We don't understand. And Therese was that way. And, and so the Lord is showing her yes. And then he's giving her an opportunity to participate. Well, listen, we've got to take a break. We'll, when we come back, we want to pick up on a couple of the key themes uh, that Therese has to share uh, beyond this. Uh, we, we won't stay on suffering all night, Francis. But uh, beyond those themes, we want to pick up on some others. Please join us back here in just a few moments. Come to the table and savor the sight for wine and the bread that is broken and all have been welcome to come if they might and accept as their own means to tokens bread is his body the wine is his blood and the one who 
ransom is true. He freely offers, we freely receive. To accept and believe Him is all we must do. Taste the glory, savor the sorrow. He's dying tomorrow. The hand that is breaking the bread soon will be broken. Here at the table sit those who have loved him. One is a traitor. One will deny, though he's lived his life for them all, and for all be Conversations. 
Well, we're coming back to the point about this trial of faith and the suffering that Therese was experiencing. And, and she's saying one must suffer in order to know suffering and to understand it. But what I liked was how she pointed out that you can step out of this trial and see it as a temptation against the faith. And here's what she said that she does. So this is a good counsel for us when we're tried in our faith. She says, I sing of what I want to believe, but it is without feeling. I would not even want to tell you the degree of blackness the night is in my soul for fear of making you share in my temptations. And she says this in great peace, even though she's in the midst of this 18-month-long trial that lasted all the way up to her death until just about a few minutes before she died when it lifted, the veil lifted, and they could see it on her face that it lifted. Yeah, we have to understand, of course, the saints all teach us this, that there's that deep level of interior peace that we can acquire through prayer. Uh, by In our Carmelite tradition, Francis, we would say, uh, you know, staying within our cave, right? And yes. meditating on the Lord's law day and night. We should be meditating constantly throughout the course of the day. We should be thinking about the Lord. He should always be in our heart, in our mind initially. That's how we begin this process is, uh, well, quite frankly, we begin it by uh, talking to the Lord, right? We may make short uh, bursts of prayer throughout the course of the day. That's a good way to begin the process. And then we move from there over time to the mind where we're constantly retaining the thought of the Lord. But eventually we get, um, and I say eventually after some period of time, in fairness, we get to the point where the Lord is just constantly in our heart. There's just a forever presence and awareness. St. Lawrence talks about this so well brother lawrence i'm sorry talks about this so well the practice of the presence of god and he's not actually talking about uh, in all cases our um making god present to ourselves he's really talking about our making ourselves present to god yeah right so we don't see ourselves sort of carrying god in our back pocket but we see god carrying us through the course of the day that's what this practice of the presence is and that's what Therese is talking about that she can retain an interior peace despite the exterior trials which she's largely controlled at this point she's brought them under submission but she can even control the interior trials this is where um, a mother teresa madre teresa of Avila teaches us about the interior castles, right? And how even in the interior, we have battles that we have to fight. But we have to find that interior peace in order to be successful in those in those battles. And that's being with God. That's the peace. You know? Absolutely. So let's go on. Uh, one of her statements uh, here near the end of her life was, we should never pass judgment on this earth. Yeah, and this opens up a very interesting dialogue around... Um, St. Therese's teaching, because we have to put this in context. First of all, this is the saint who taught us the little way, right? She's the, she's the patron of spiritual childhood. And so we see in some cases Therese having reached this, um, a state of what some misunderstand as perpetual childhood. It in fact is a very, a theologically mature understanding of our relationship with God, spiritual right. childhood. We are all spiritual children. It is our uh, effort to try to strike our independence that always leaves us exposed, if you will, to the onslaught of the world and the, the enemy. 
Therese knew that. She discovered that very quickly, and she had as a model of that her own father um, and her experience as a child. And she simply elevated her uh, material childhood, her worldly experience of childhood, into the spiritual realm and quickly understood that she was God's child, that she needed to be held in his arms, that he was the elevator, right? right? Yes, that was going well, to lift her to holiness. Yes. But in that context, we have this young girl who's teaching us something here about judgment. She says, do not a judge so that you will not be judged. Well, of course, that's scriptural. And it um, comes, this comes from this episode where she's untying her apron a little bit slower than somebody else because mm-hmm. whoever unties it the fastest gets to go do something special. And she sees that this other person wants to do this other special thing. And, and so she, she purposely, right. yes, but she's accused of being slow and losing this pearl in her crown. Right. <laughs> Boy, what a, um, what a great lesson for all of us. You know, let's flip this around for a moment before we finish uh, Therese's teaching on not judging others. Of course, she is in, in some way reprimanding though she didn't reprimand the person at the time, but she's saying, you know, that that should never happen. We shouldn't be judging others. We don't know what goes on in the hearts and the minds of another person. And the most difficult experience, I think, in the spiritual realm is to sit and accept uh, somebody else, uh, perhaps unfairly, judging us. Or maybe what's worse is when they fairly judge us, right? When they point out our deficiencies. But nonetheless, uh, Therese is saying we we... The individual should not judge another person. We should not hold another person in judgment. We don't know what goes on in the hearts and the minds of another person. But then a little bit later, just a few pages later, we get this interesting reflection. She says, and I'm reading from page 38, uh, we should never allow kindness, she says, to degenerate into weakness. Now, St. Therese had a very interesting uh, character. She had a very strong character. Um, she was willing to uh, sort of call a spade a spade, if you will. Yeah, that was boldness, holy yeah, boldness. And yeah. it, it takes courage because, you know, how often you, you know the truth about a matter, but you want to sugarcoat it. And, and how many adorable, lovely little children do we know who have a very firm will and, and will say things that ought to be said and when they ought to be said or maybe when they ought not to be said. But, you know, they're very adamant about it. Uh, she says here, uh, going on, when we have scolded someone with just reason, we must leave the matter there. So she's not talking about judging now. She's talking about Correct. she was given responsibilities in, in the Carmel, even though she was a very young girl. Um, people recognized her spiritual maturity, and she was given responsibilities. And she's saying, uh, when we've scolded, corrected someone, um, we must leave the matter there without without allowing ourselves to be touched to the point of tormenting ourselves or having caused pain or it's seeing someone suffer and cry. Well, she's talking about a very real experience because she had this experience when she had to reprimand or direct or counsel uh, the young uh, postulants on occasion. You know, they may have this sort of reaction. And Therese tells us we shouldn't then try to console that person. Yeah, let me read exactly what she says here. So this is profound. As a parent, (laughs) I'm really identifying with this because, you know, this is a good way of raising your kids. She said to run after the afflicted one, the one you've corrected, Mm -hmm. to console her does more harm than good. And you're like, well, why? And she explains it. Leaving her to herself forces her to have recourse to God in order to see her faults and humble herself. 
And so she says, otherwise, accustomed to receiving consolation after merited reprimand, she will always act in the same circumstances like a spoiled child. Don't we know that's true? Stamping her feet and crying until her mother comes to dry her tears. So a good parenting counsel there. Now, who do you think Therese is talking about here? I think she's probably talking about herself. (laughs) She probably did that to her mom, and her mom taught her. Of course, and she recognizes, and this is, you know, we're the greatest teachers of the things that we're the most guilty of. That's my honest opinion. (laughs) Very good. Uh, I I think we can impart those lessons because we've learned them in our heart, so to speak. Um, And that's what she's saying here. You know, don't go racing after the one. And I think it is a good lesson for parents. We so often struggle with this, don't we, Francis? And I've heard people say, well, gee, how do I... How do I um, become humble and compassionate and kind to my child, but at the same time remain parent? And the answer is, do what God does. God doesn't simply, um, after he's perhaps reprimanded us and brought us back on the, on the right course, he doesn't immediately run to us and say, oh, forget it, it's okay, yeah. let me console you, let me fill you with candy, or whatever the consolation might be. No, he has the dignity uh, uh, or grants us, rather, the dignity to let us accept that we are faulty human beings, that we will make mistakes, that we must be corrected, and then we have to turn back to him. He's right. not going to come rushing to us. Yeah, Therese is so good at keeping her eyes on Christ. And, you know, so often, like, if you're in a situation at work and you've got to correct somebody, because that happens. You know, people mess up and you've got to get things straightened out. Uh, you correct them in, in compassion and mercy, but you, you've got to do the correction. But so often you'll see people who want to sugarcoat it because they're, you know, I don't want to offend so-and-so because I want them to like me. So, you know, they're more concerned about their own ego or their own uh, way of being perceived by someone rather than, you know, doing what's right. So here she is very prophetic. She is being that prophet, the truth teller, the truth bearer. And she knows that God is going to make up for all of her. Lack. I mean, some of her other conversations, she is saying, you know, uh, she's going to do what she needs to do, and she knows that God will take care of all the rest. Yeah. Well, Francis, <clears throat> let's diverge for a moment and get on a more joyous subject here. Let's talk about heaven. Just for the fun of it. What do you think? Oh, yes, heaven. <laughs> I love heaven. <laughs> you know, I want to say something to our listeners that I think is very important. It's been my own experience. Um, if you find yourself in a difficult patch, you find yourself in a dry state, or maybe you're going through significant trials in your life. Um, one of the counsels uh, that I strongly encourage, and I get this from the saints, is that we should stop, we should close our eyes, and we should put ourselves in the presence of the Lord and recognize, one, there's nothing he's going to bring us into uh, that he won't be able to bring us out of. There's no trial that will break us, and at the end of the day, we're all glory bound. Right. We're all bound to that wonderful yeah. place. And we should take a moment to sit and reflect on what eternity will be like. There are uh, uh, more than enough uh, uh, sources of, uh, of writing on the glory of heaven, what what can be communicated to us in our limited capacities, humans to understand. And I we should take we, some time. Yeah, well, I don't think we do that enough. And Therese did that all her life because I was sitting there thinking, well, maybe we should do a program on Therese in heaven. Um, and she talks about heaven all her life long. In fact, the first word that she could read was the word heaven. <laughs> we can't really even understand. Of course, the saints can give us some insight, but we can't really understand what it is Paul says, uh, you know, has not entered the mind of man. Uh, the gifts that God has prepared for us. But let's take Therese's perspective on this for a moment. She says, 
I'm very happy to go to heaven very soon. Of course, she will at the stage that she's writing this. But when I think of these words of God, my reward is with me to render to each one according to his works. I tell myself that he will be very much embarrassed in my case. Did you catch I that? I haven't embarrassed. any words. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I had to point that no, out. That's quite all okay? right. She says he's going to be embarrassed because she has no works. Now go on. She then says, well, he will not be able to reward me according to my works, so he will have to reward me according to his works. I love I this. I think that's the point. <laughs> she's so good. I mean, she steals his heart. She wants him to be loved for her love, and now she's wanting his works to be her own. I'm like, well, she is a genius. <laughs> Just like a child, you know. I can't do it, but you can. <laughs> so she and has I'll this great confidence. I'll take credit for what you've done. Yeah, she has this great confidence. She says, I haven't any works, but, you know, I'll, you have to treat me according to your works, because she's the daughter, and everything of his is hers, you know. But, but the truth is, of course, this is the brilliance of her spiritual childhood. Uh, that's exactly what happens. God inspires the work, and then he gives us the capacity to do it. Right. We simply dispose ourselves to it. It's not our work. It's his work working through us. Um, but what a wonderful gift. Well, I like how she continued with this. Yes. She says, I have formed such a lofty idea of heaven that at times I wonder what God will do at my death to surprise me. <laughs> I'm like spoken like this child, this this view. Because uh, children love surprises. I love surprises. Don't you love surprises? <laughs> and and um, she's like, my hope is so great. It is such a subject of joy to me, not by feeling, but by faith. That to satisfy me fully, something will be necessary which is beyond all human consumption. I think that's what we're talking about. I can't Go wait ahead. to get to heaven and see what, <laughs> what God did for her. Of course, the face that she gave, you know, on that last minute of her life was really telling. Uh, the sisters saw in her face that there was um, something phenomenal going on. Yeah, her reflections on heaven are really um, inspiring, and I think you're right. We talked about that, and we may do a program on that at one point. But um, it's this idea uh, that um, you know God's really going to have to come up with something special because my expectations are so high. Of course, um, we would acknowledge that her expectations are limited like our own uh, to our ability to even conceive, let alone perceive, uh, but to even conceive what heaven will be like. And I'm suspecting that God will probably meet and exceed our expectations. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, Therese says, you know, I really don't see what I'll have after death that I don't already possess in this life. I shall see God, true. But as far as being in his presence, I'm totally there here on earth. So she's already experiencing heaven in earth within her soul and experiencing God's presence, his love. And, but, you know, this conversation continues and then she starts saying oh but in heaven i won't be bound by this body and guess what i'll be able to come back and do more for you than i ever did before and she talks about the shower of roses that will come after death and that you know uh the, the giving her up uh wasn't a sacrifice but was really uh, a great joy a great grace because more she'll be able to do so much more and that she will actually come down and of course we hear many stories of people who have been very deep Deeply influenced and affected by Therese. Well, she goes on. She talks, uh, of course, about heaven at length, and then she goes on, uh, sort of reorienting herself to the task at hand. Uh, I'm reading now from page 45. Uh, she says, I must always have some work to do to prepare. In this way, I do not waste my time. Therese was very uh, much, we've talked so many times about how she's the patron saint of little things, right? Right. She understood the value of time. I wonder if we understand the value of time, Francis. If we, you know, in our generation where there's so much to distract us, 
so much to pull us away, so much to pull us out of our interior. Again, I go back to our, our rule. Uh, we are to stand, um, you know, within our cave, meditating night and day on the law of the Lord. Our cave, of course, is our interior. We're supposed to stay inside. We should never be, never be drawn out of our interior as Carmelites. Yeah, that soul, the yeah. interior of your soul. And if you have a call to the Carmelite life, if this is intriguing to you, what Francis and I talk about, what we have the great privilege to talk about each week and struggle to live, uh, but nonetheless are, are, guided by these great saints. If you're interested in, in having that conversation about that, I, I strongly encourage you to find a Carmelite community in your area, but you can begin by contacting us at Carmelite, that's with a capital C, Conversations at yahoo.com. And I know uh, Francis or myself would be happy to guide you and direct you uh, to where the nearest Carmel, the secular uh, uh, community might be in your area. And we also have a Facebook, Carmelite Conversations. Check us out. Right. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from our audience. We'd love to hear from those who listen and and help us make this conversation better. What are you more interested in? We are going to get to uh, some of the lesser known saints. We've we've done some of those, but we want to continue in that theme because some... Uh, one or two of our listeners have asked, and we certainly want to uh, respond to that. Let's talk about um, when Therese wanted to apply her remedies to the sick missionaries. Well, I, 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 it's exactly where I wanted to go because I, I've uh, opened this up, if you will, by talking about how she doesn't waste time. And again, uh, this is someone who's in her last months, though she doesn't know that necessarily. She certainly anticipates. Right. She's getting better than worse, than better yeah. than worse. And she doesn't know which way she's going. She's finally just, you know, she's resigned to do whatever God wants. Yeah. And, and, and that includes making the most out of every hour of the day. Uh, but she does something more in, in, in regard to this. And, of course, we know that Therese uh, today, uh, well, actually, Therese had for uh, much of her life a great desire to be a missionary. She wanted to go to Vietnam uh, and be a missionary um, uh, to the peoples of Vietnam. Of course, she never uh, was allowed to fulfill that particular worldly aspiration. Uh, but I don't think any of us would deny that um, she stands among the greatest missionary uh, figures today in the modern church. As we've said already, she's so popular to so many, both inside and outside the church. So she very much fulfilled that mission. But um, she says at one point, um, she asks God to apply the remedies uh, which would otherwise have been applied to her in her sickness. Mm-hmm. No, she says, give those to the missionaries. Now, um, we're back on the issue of faith for a moment, Francis. Mm-hmm. This is a young girl who now, of course, has acquired a great deal of faith. And she's telling us that her uh, detachment, if you will, exercised her um, um, fasting, in, in a sense, from the remedies, the medicines that would have been applied to her. Which were awful. Yeah, in and of themselves were, were quite difficult. Uh, but she's saying, give those to the missionaries. They'll need them more. Yes. And so do that, we believe so they that would God be hears that prayer? Yeah. Yes, yes. She's saying this so that they would be healed. And I'm like, well, geez, this is along this line of redemptive suffering. Only only now it's it's just you know giving the grace of healing to someone else rather than for yourself. Yeah. Amen. And this is true in the mystical body. We have to have faith of this fact. In the mystical body, our willingness 
not only to accept, but to embrace our suffering, our willingness to practice detachment, our willingness to practice asceticism in whatever degree we can, either foregoing a hot shower in favor of a cold one or uh, foregoing uh, the pleasure of uh, uh, television that we may, um, uh, you know, have grown into a pattern of, whatever the case might be, foregoing things in favor of the members of the mystical body receiving the blessings and the healings they need. We have to have faith that that's the way the Lord works. Right, and she's she's convinced in herself that the remedies aren't going to cure her, but she's still having to receive them. And so she makes this agreement with God that he'll bring profit from them for the poor sick missionaries who have neither the time nor the means to take care of themselves. And she says, I've asked him to cure them instead of me through the medicines and the rest that I'm obliged to take. So it's like she's receiving the actual medicine, but she's giving the profit of that medicine off to the missionaries. And, you know, it is the mystical body of Christ, so of course this is possible. And, and again, we might say, well, of course, this is Therese. Wouldn't she be doing this? But we have to put ourselves in that situation, if you will, for just a moment. We're in our last, uh, arguably our last months, and we're suffering. There's pain. There's there's real physical pain here, in addition to some of the interior pain that she's going through. How many of us would be willing to do that? We don't know, but here's the trial. Here's the struggle. Here's what we have to wrestle with ourselves. Therese didn't do this on her own. Therese had given herself over. She had literally gone through this experience of giving her will over to God. You know, I like yeah. this next line, and I have to close with it before you pray us out, Francis. Um, she's suffering a great deal, but she contends that she herself doesn't have courage. I'm a weak, frail child, she says. And I've always loved this line from Ernest Hemingway, and it's prophetic in this context. Courage is grace under pressure. Yeah. Now, of course, Ernest Hemingway meant something slightly different by that line, but courage is grace under pressure for St. Therese means grace is filling her right now in this most difficult time. She certainly has courage, but it's not her courage. It's Christ's courage. It's in her weakness. <laughs> in her weakness, she found her strength, and that strength comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, yes. We have to learn to give up. We have to stop fighting. We have to stop resisting. We have to stop trying to control our circumstances and the situations. We have to stop kicking against the gourd, as St. Paul said. And we have to simply give our will over. We have to accept that everything that comes into our life, every hour of every day, is our Father's will. And we can do that if we wake up in the morning and say, Father, I give you my day. It's right. as simple as that. Lord, you're enough. I give you my day. And then accept that everything that happens in your life throughout the course of the day is in fact his will. And despite the fact that it may be a trial, it's leading you to glory. Right. What you can just say, blessing. thy will be done or fiat. <laughs> I think those two cover that really big. Well, so. Francis, pray us out and then uh, we'll talk about next week. All right, this is an excerpt from Therese's prayer to Jesus in the tabernacle. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, Jesus, I offer you every beat of my heart as so many acts of love and reparation, and I unite them to your infinite merits. I beg you, O oh my divine bridegroom, to be the restorer of my soul, to act in me despite my resistance. And lastly, I wish you have no other will but yours. Tomorrow, with the help of your grace, I will begin a new life in which each moment will be an act of love and renunciation. Thus, after coming each evening to the foot of your altar, 
I will finally reach the last evening of my life. Then will begin for me the unending day of eternity when I will place in your divine heart the struggles of exile. Amen. Amen. Well, next week, listeners, I'd ask you to please pray for Frances and her daughter, Rosa Marie, who is going to be having surgery on that day. And so yes. she won't be with us, uh, but I'll have a special guest here in the studio with me. We'll do another couple of weeks, I think, on Last Conversations, and we look forward to you uh, participating uh, either as listener or a part of the conversation with us. Until then, God bless. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carl Ike Conversations.